Howdy, Dream Cowboys! Welcome back to the HBO Boys Podcast, the podcast where we recap and review prestige TV and movies and any old thing. Today we're talking about the 1960s murder mystery detective show, Perry Mason, which is soon to be adapted into the latest HBO original series. I'm James, and with me is Ryan. Hello, I'm Ryan. I was wondering, you know what? Never mind. I, uh, yeah, any old thing, huh? Yeah, we we can... I mean, you're recapping reviewing your life, so... That's a good point. Shut up. There's a good point. There's a rag to my left. We should recap and review that. Any old thing. Yeah, well, well tell me about the rag. It's red and fictional. Okay. Good. And that's this was it. A, this was a good intro. <laughs> this was a good podcast. We should just quit while we're ahead. And cut. Yeah. See you next week, guys. Hit up the Patreon. Our Patreon subscribers are... This was an interesting idea because, well, this HBO show has been in in the works for a long time, but we just heard of it, and I'd never heard of the original show either. Apparently, it was a big deal in the 60s. I mentioned before, both my parents were fans when they were little ones a long time ago. And they were wee lads. I am a fan of black and white old TVs and movies, but you are not. I am not. You were coming into this as a naysayer. Correct. I think they're gross. But you ended up liking it, you said. I did like this episode of television, this one episode, the pilot episode of Perry Mason, based off of a series of novels. The novelist, Erie Stanley Gardner, I mean, when he died, he was the best-selling American author of all time. So these novels were obviously read by a lot of people. The original show went for nine years. Uh, So, I mean, it obviously was, was popular. And the the writer is an interesting guy. Aside from just, like, churning out books himself, he was also churning out a ton of books as several different pseudonyms. So, dude is just constantly writing, constantly working. And he himself was a former lawyer, so maybe Perry Mason is kind of based on him. Oh, for sure. All of his main characters are perfectly moral and amazingly looking lawyers. He's just writing the, like, dream version of himself. And he wins every court case. Like, Well, yeah, it, it's like how Stephen King's main characters are always writers from New England who fuck. Right. They, oh, they all fuck. But yeah, I mean, he, Perry Mason, in the show, in a nine-year show, every episode ends him in a courtroom, and he's lost, like, three times total. So nobody in this show is a, currently a household name that anyone in the audience would recognize. But the main character, Perry Mason, is played by Raymond Burr. He is most famous for being Perry Mason. He was also a character in the movie Rear Window, which I have seen with Jimmy Stewart. It's a good one. Is that the Hitchcock film? Yes, the Hitchcock film, which was adapted into the Shia LaBeouf movie Disturbia. Oh, love Shia. That's not even... I'm not even jonesing on you right now. Odd comeback Shia's had. You know what? This is the fork in the road, James. Let us veer left and talk about Welcome to the Shia LaBeouf podcast. Yeah, 40 minutes of Shia. Also, by the way, before we keep going, 
We have a Patreon, and you can go to it on patreon.com slash the HBO boys. Two extra podcasts a month, sometimes even three. One dollar. Not all that much money. It's crazy. The amount of content you get for that amount of money. Go over there. Or give it a dollar. Okay, keep going. 1960s Perry Mason. I, I murdered that. Raymond Burr was also one of the main characters in the... So there's two versions of the film Godzilla. There's the Japanese version Godzilla. Sure. And then there's the version that they made, you know, it's like how they shot Power Rangers, where they took the existing Power Rangers footage and cut in some beautiful white kids. Yeah. Right? But I assume I, I assume this was in the 60s, though, right? Yes. In the 60s, they took the original film Godzilla, brought it to a studio in Hollywood, cut out the scenes with Japanese people in them, right? reshot some scenes with Raymond Burr in them, mm-hmm. and then, you know... So it's like Godzilla's terrorizing no New York whenever the characters are on screen. And then when, you know, they zoom out and it's Godzilla, it's like, oh, New York looks a lot like Tokyo. And oh, all the people fleeing look Japanese, but it's just a coincidence. So what you're saying is that somewhere in a movie, Raymond Burr is looking upwards, pointing and yelling? Yeah, at Godzilla. And, and in two movies, actually, he was, uh, they did the same thing with Godzilla 2. And, they uh, made the a well. sequel? Yeah. Okay. I've seen both it. versions. Why? The, I mean, not like the original Godzilla in Japanese is like that good of a movie either, sure. but the, the the English one's unwatchable. And what it has in common with Power Rangers is that the Megazord and Godzilla are both just dudes in a suit. Go so Perry Mason episode one is entitled the the Runaway Redhead. Is that it? Yeah, Runaway Redhead. Her name is Evelyn Bagby. By the way, these names. Yeah, just the most 1960s TV names. Evelyn Bagby. Like back then, Perry was considered a tough guy name. I love that name, honestly. I I went into it not liking it, but this burly, giant-shouldered man... Uh, he, he has made. He, I'm, I've come around on it. Evelyn Bagby, played by Whitney Blake. Uh, do we really? Do we need to say who played everybody? Because like, are any of these people famous, even in the context of the sixties? No, we don't have to say it. But it's in my notes. So if I had to take, like, I took the time to write it down, and I've made the mistake of caring. So now, yes, now you have to care. The episode begins with a nervous woman, Evelyn Bagby, dressed as a waitress. She parks her car and walks shiftily, nervously into her apartment building. An evil-looking man peers at her from another car, and he's wearing a white hooded mask. Right. Looks like a KKK mask. Yeah, well, yeah, it does. It looks like the like the proto-KKK from Django. Right. And both of these characters, both Django and the man in the car, unchained. Once inside, Evelyn, kind of paranoid... Walks around her house, turns on all the lights, deadbolts the door, begins to change out of her uniform, and then, like all good women in the 1960s, reaches for her cigar box, just, like, full of cigarettes, but, da da there's a gun inside of it. Oh my god. Who put that gun in there? Is it her gun? <laughs> We're gonna have to find out. She places it called a Perry Mason. Handsome, debonair, defense attorney Perry Mason. And tells him about this mysterious gun in her cigarette box. He wants her to check that if it's been fired. So she immediately points the gun at her face and looks down the barrel. Oh, God. (laughs) So many people just randomly point the gun at themselves and puts it. She basically puts it up her nose. She's like, no, I don't think so. 
But if I was bad at this at all and pulled the trigger by accident, that would have been a really awful phone call for you. Yeah, good thing this panicky waitress in the 60s has perfect trigger discipline. Yeah. And there were no issues. Yeah. Put that up your nose. See what happens. Yeah, he tells her to sniff it to smell if it's been fired because it'll smell like gunpowder. And she says it doesn't. She doesn't. She called him and not the cops because she's already been in a little bit of trouble. She was charged with a jewelry theft last month but she beat the rap but she doesn't want to see the cops again uh, okay yeah sounds like you're setting up a, a murder mystery but all right sure yeah perry tells her to go stay at a hotel and meet him in the morning and so she drives away in her car but the masked man follows after her one thing i want to say about black and white tvs from the 50s 60s movies as well what it's like the way that the actors are acting and the lines are delivered and the sets are set up, it's like watching a stage performance that's just been recorded. Don't you think? Yes. It feels as though a actor who was in movies and TV was also doing Hamlet on the weekends and the directors were all the same people and they were like, just do it the same. Pretend the cameras aren't even here. And uh, and shout every every line that we give you. Yes, project for the cameras in the back of the room. Like, and and the and the faces are very broad. A lot of facial acting. You can even see the actors are cheating towards an audience that's not there. Right. Yeah, they're mugging for an imaginary audience. I mean, I, I honestly that was not the most egregious mistake. I'm not even a mistake. That wasn't the most egregious thing happening, but I do agree with you. The most egregious thing happening was the overt sexism, but we'll get into that later. <laughs> As she's driving, there's a bit of a slow-moving car chase. Just one uh, bad. Although, no, the the cars happening was fine. What was stupid was the hooded guy was, like, the Wikipedia description of it is, like, he was trying to run her off the road. No, he was not. He was waving no, he was lazily to, like, wave at her. her down. Yeah, waving <laughs> yeah. lazily at her, and then she accelerates, and then he waves some more. And her answer to that is to pull a gun out and just wave it around and shoot it in the air. And I really like the old-timey like driving effects where th- there's a person driving a car on a soundstage, and then there's like behind them is like a giant tapestry of the background kind of rolling up to give the illusion of motion. To be fair, I have seen very similar scenes in like Big Bang Theory even. Like they have not changed the way that they shoot car scenes in studios at all since the 1960s. But as Ryan said, the masked man tries to flag her down and she panics and fires three shots in his direction. And she hears the car crash, but doesn't look back. Yeah. That's important. Seems like an overreaction, but but okay. Yeah, already attempted murder. I guess from her perspective, the man in the masks waving you off to the side, perhaps he will murder you when you get over there. But like... Right. If I mean, if he had been like edging his car towards hers, or, you know, like moving really quickly, like he was going to try to hit her, but he hadn't. He was just kind of waving at her, you could say menacingly. Mm, yeah. Well, who, I, you know, I'm not exactly concerned with the rights of the man in, in the, the pillow mask anyway. Right. I mean, if by, by menacingly you mean like Dennis the menacingly, perhaps. But yeah, uh, shooting at him was... When she took the gun out, I was like, what are they... Do people in the 60s just shoot into the unknown? 
Into the unknown. Evelyn arrives at Perry's office, distraught, tells sure. him about the shooting. Yeah, she comes in and just, like, she falls down yes, the door. very theatrical, like, oh, with her hand up girl. on her uh, forehead. Oh, She has poor girl syndrome. Sexist. Perry tells her to stay at the office tonight just to be safe and to collect herself. He calls his private investigator partner, Paul, who is in the middle of a poker game. He's like, I need you to run the, the numbers on this mysterious cigarette box gun. And Paul's like in the middle of a card game. He's like, okay, well, you know, I've, I've had a bit to drink and I've railed a couple lines, but okay, I'll <laughs> yeah. leave and do this. <laughs> I am high as a kite, but I will get right on that for you, Perry. And that is the part that's going to be played by Gary Cole of the newsroom in the new Perry Mason. Perry goes to check out the scene of the shooting, and he finds that the police are already there. They found a car that's driven off a cliff. He meets with a homicide detective, Holcomb. Holcomb was one of the main characters in the book, and was meant to be a main character in the show, but this homicide detective actor, like, got picked up to do something else. So he's only in this one episode, actually. He was meant to be a bigger character, but he's not. Oh, well, sad times. He just walks up to the crime scene. The cops are like, oh, it's, hey, it's Perry. We know Perry. It's fine for Perry to be here. Well, that's one thing I, I really appreciated about this scene and about this show or maybe this time period in general. They really do not beat you over the head with anything. You can tell by their performances like, oh, these characters have some kind of rapport, right? Perry walks up to a lot of murder scenes. They find the mask and they're kind of looking at it. And I love this this sequence actually perry very slyly pulls out a cigarette and pretends like he doesn't have a lighter so one of the cops like waves him over here come on i'll light your cigarette and then while he's doing that he kind of leans over and looks at the mask they found i like that a lot yeah and then his eyebrows raise so far you assume that they're gonna fly off his face but he sees that on the pillowcase are the words villa espana which is the name of the apartment building that evelyn lives at i don't know about you guys but i don't have the name of my apartment building printed on my pillowcase <laughs> i have on my pillowcase it just says ryan's house when he gets back to the apartment perry questions evelyn about her pillowcase and she said like well no i came home and went to have a cigarette i didn't you know check my pillowcases as he interrogates her he shakes her which is totally yes. normal <laughs> in the 60s yeah he just grabs this girl he hardly knows by the shoulders and violently shakes her did you look at your pillowcases Perry's secretary, Della, warns him that a furious police lieutenant, Bragg, is arriving at the building to grill him. And he's very angry at Perry for showing up at the crime scene. He's like, well, so what were you doing on the side of the road at two in the morning? And he's like, yeah, I wanted to go for a drive. Oh, this got nothing to do with maybe you representing the perpetrator? Right. Nah, don't no. worry about that. <laughs> yeah, Perry is obviously lying. Lieutenant, old man, cool hat. Knows it, but there's nothing he can do. No, yeah. And this is before cell phones, right? Which is, that's what stood out to me most about this, is that back then, information only came to the forefront from running around town and shouting questions at people. In the modern times, this would have been a phone call and shouting questions. Or even just a text. <laughs> Lieutenant Bragg would have just sent a text to Perry. Hey, you up? Yeah, you up, question mark. And then like a, a Snapchat, like a real thirsty Snapchat wanting information. Perry totally plays it cool. He's like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Bragg's like, well, can I go look in your back room? No, you can't. Nah. Okay, so if I come back with a search warrant uh, uh, and you don't help me, I'm going to arrest you for uh, impeding an investigation. Cool, bro. Right. And Perry says back, like, if you have a search warrant, I will absolutely 
be as helpful as humanly possible. I know the law. By the way, not a private detective. Am a lawyer. That's hard to remember in these moments. Anyway, this was a great scene, too. Really snappy dialogue. And again, you just know based on their lines and their performances the kind of relationship these two characters have. If this were a modern-day procedural, Lieutenant Prague would have come in and be like, Perry, I've known you for 30 years and I've never liked you, and you're always interfering with my investigations. And Perry would have been like, it's true, and you're such a stalwart defender of justice, so I have a begrudging respect for you. And then it would end with like, and give Susan my best. But eventually Bragg gives up some information to Perry. He says the the victim's name was Harry Cavill. Sounds like Henry Cavill. Superman. (laughs) And the Witcher. By the way, bonus episode Witcher on our Patreon right now. How's How's that for a transition? The victim died of a gunshot wound to the head. Perry totally deflects Bragg's attempts to access Evelyn. And Bragg leaves, saying, like, okay, I'll come back when I've got a warrant to break down your door. Okay, bye. Yeah, he used words with Lieutenant Old Man Cool Hat. He didn't even shake him. Once Lieutenant Bragg is gone, Perry pushes Evelyn to tell him. Again, he's, like, in her face shouting and shaking her. <laughs> Not cool. Nah, he missed the, uh, when he was taking the bar exam, he didn't do well on the section of bedside manner, but he did really well on the investigation part. Yeah, right. He doesn't understand that you can't drop an elbow onto a woman's temple, but he does know how to ask questions. Five years ago, when Evelyn first got to Hollywood, Harry, under the pseudonym Lester, conned her out of $1,500. $1,500 in the 60s is probably a ton of money, right? I have no idea. Oh, I assume it's millions. He promised to make her a big star. I mean, you know the story. You know, give me the money. uh, I'll make you a star. It said like this, James. I'll make you a star. Then, two months ago, she happened upon him at a diner, her diner. She threatened to go to the police unless he gave her money back, and so he told her to meet him at a fancy resort, and this is the same resort where she was arrested for jewelry theft. There was a Hollywood movie actress at the resort. Her jewels went missing, and then they were later found behind the room that Evelyn had checked into, all right? So that explains the jewelry theft. Sounds like a goddamn setup. Right. So she was set up to go down for this jewelry theft as a way to silence her so that that Harry wouldn't get caught for conning her. Perry, hearing this story, thinks what everyone would think. Like, oh, okay, so you just shot him in the head out of revenge and this whole masked man story is bullshit. Right. It's $1,500 worth of bullet, Evelyn. She's totally adamant that the gun is not hers and that she didn't even fire the gun at him. She was not pointing it at him. And he was totally wearing a mask, so it's not like she... She knew it was him to take revenge anyway. Harry wants to believe her, but he finds it suspicious. I don't see thematically a big point into building this dramatic irony since we, the audience, know what happened. But I guess it just kind of shows that that Perry is a very systematic person. Right. It seems as though the law is important to both the writer, director, actors, everyone who made this show. I read somewhere that writers in Hollywood at the time regarded Perry Mason as one of the hardest shows to write for because they refused to step out of the realities of the law. So, yeah, they're just trying to, like, lay a groundwork of, look, we care. But at the same time, on the other side of this, Perry Mason didn't go to Evelyn and be like, oh, so you just shot into the wind? Why? I like how cute the LAPD is in the 60s. He's like, hey, is there a murder suspect in your closet? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) 
The next day, Paul arrives uh, with information on the gun serial number that he looked up. It belongs to the Mervyn Aldrich. Oh, my God. Who is a famous Hollywood producer. Wow. Perry's like, I want you to dig up all the dirt we got on this Mervyn guy. And Paul's like, okay, that'll be pretty tough. Paul just gets shit on this whole episode. Yeah, he is doesn't seem very valued. And also, by the way, digging up information on people is not just Googling them in the 60s. He has to, like, go to a, get newspaper clippings. Dig through his garbage. <laughs> right. Like, th- this is actually terrifyingly hard work. Good luck, go to Paul. the library and put some microfiche under a microscope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for a month. <laughs> it's like, I don't, need to, I don't even get paid <laughs> by the hour. I'm on a salary, so all this works for nothing. <laughs> And most of my work has to be done between 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. when that Perry Mason calls me all whacked out. Perry, I'm making love to my wife. No, I need you to run these numbers. All right, Perry. You know I'll do anything for you. (laughs) Perry heads to the Villa España, which is Spanish for Spanish village. Yeah. Ah, (laughs) That made me laugh even before you said it. I was like... <laughs> Villa España, Spanish for Villa España. He questions Evelyn about how she knows Mervyn Aldrich. At first, she claims she doesn't, but then she slips up and kind of reveals that she does know him. Perry says that he's really beginning to suspect her because she's acting shady. Right. And because she keeps lying. She gets angry that he doesn't trust her and she's about to throw him out when Lieutenant Bragg arrives and arrests her. He had, like, tailed Perry here. Hey, thanks for bringing me to the Murder Sucks Mess house. Uh, you're under arrest. Yeah, he really struts in like he's so proud. He's like, Haha, I know how to drive a car behind you. I'm Lieutenant Old Man Cool Hat at it again. So now Evelyn's locked up and Perry is on his own. What are you going to do, Perry, with no one to shake? He gets back to the office and Paul comes running up. Does pretty fast. He's like, look what I found here. A marriage certificate signed by... Lester Holt and Helene Cheney, but Helene Cheney is supposed to be married to the Hollywood producer Mervyn Aldrich, and you know he's the owner of the gun, and he's supposed to be married to this woman, but she actually has an existing marriage contract with Lester Holt, which is the pseudonym of the murder victim. So it's getting very complicated and mm. very entwined. Yeah, and Perry's like, hmm, that's a whole swath of clues. Perry goes to see this actress, Helene. Outside her movie studio, he first he pretends to be an adoring fan, and she's like, oh, you're Perry Mason, the famous lawyer. So he's someone of some repute as well. Right. And, and I think that he's also, like, in the newspapers, and that's why Evelyn contacted him. He's a famous guy. Right. Like, who's a famous enough lawyer that, like, Charlize Theron would know him? He tries to ask her about Harry, codenamed Lester, and she tries to play dumb, and she is actually... Totally thrown off and su- surprised when he mentions Riverside, which is the town with the hotel where she lost her jewels. She's like, w- w- Riverside? So he knows something's up. Yeah, she's a, an actress who, in this moment, forgot how to act. Next he goes to the Eucalyptus Motel, which is the the location of the jewelry theft. He questions the sassy clerk... Who totally stonewalls him. Sassy, huh? In my notes, I called her a firecracker. She is the wife to the business owner, Lewis, and he asks them about the jewelry theft case and the testimony that he gave against Evelyn in the theft case, which she did beat, by the way. 
Perry accuses them both of being bribed by Harry to set Evelyn up, and the wife gets totally pissed off and throws Perry out. Which, this is important for something that happens in the future, just remember this moment. She is being accused of something, and she's like, you're an idiot, get out of my uh, establishment, please. And the her husband is like, yeah, yeah, like, like she is not in the wrong here. Right, and then she turns to her husband and she's like, you're a fucking idiot too with a trash dick. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly that there's her direct quote but like my my point here is like she is not in the wrong and she's not she she it feels like they're trying to purposely portray her as an awful woman someone so awful that this husband must be going through such torture but nothing that what she just did was that bad it felt like right. she was just standing up for herself you know, in in the sixties, uh, uh, just a woman asserting herself was shorthand for like, oh, she's she's out of her mind. She's hysterical, right? Which is why <laughs> I ask people to remember this moment because it will feed the most sexist moment of the entire sixty minutes. Right after this, Perry goes to his car and scratches a mark into the underside of the barrel of the gun for mm. for reasons that'll be important later. Just like yeah. Ryan said about the last scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Change in evidence. Then he goes to see. Mervyn Aldrich, the Hollywood producer, and he's like, here, let me return your gun to you, which, you know, obviously shocks him. He asks him whether his current wife, Helene, and her ex-husband, the murder victim, ever got properly divorced. And Mervyn, actually being pretty straight with him, confesses like, no, they never did, and Harry was blackmailing me about it, it would have been this huge scandal, and so I paid him off $10,000 just to make it go away. And Perry's like, okay, but did you get him to sign anything? And Mervyn pretty stupidly is like, no, I just gave him the money. <laughs> and Perry's like, okay, boom, right there. I got your murder motive. <laughs> like, Yeah, you gave it to me. Also, you bought two guns, right? Perry hands him the gun back to him. And he's like, well, can you show me uh, the other gun as well? He's like, well, let me go get it. He goes away, comes back with just one gun. And he's like, no, I couldn't find it, but here, you take it back for your investigation, right? So there are two guns here, his gun and his wife's gun. And he's saying that this is, what you found here is my gun stolen from my car. Oh, but my wife's gun is still here, don't worry. And I wonder if audiences in 1964 or whenever this aired, I believe, were like, okay, I believe this man. (laughs) Because as he did it, I was like, oh, he switched those guns. He switched the guns for sure. Right, it's pretty obvious now that what Perry has in his possession is actually his wife's gun, and that his was not stolen, and he basically lied about the two, switched them around. During this scene, the movie star calls from a payphone, and Aldrich, you know, the movie star's new kind of husband, is like, I can't talk now, and I can't say any details goodbye perry asks him again like is this your gun and he admits like yeah i did buy two of these guns one for me and one helene i don't know which is which but right now i only have one on me on the way back to the office perry stops his car fires the gun three times into a tree and then gets back in the car and keeps going no context inexplicably but i was like is that the murder scene again is he just is he creating more of his own evidence this cannot be legal. 
Right. Well, it's just like, yeah, is it if you if you're if you're convinced your your client is innocent, is it okay to just absolutely obfuscate whatever happened to get them off? Like, I don't believe so, James. But I wouldn't know. I'm not a lawman. When he gets back to the office, Bragg is waiting for him. This is the next morning. And he searches Perry, and Perry is forced to give up the gun. But, you know, he does it with a smile on his face. He's got some kind of plan. Lieutenant Old Man Cool Hat is behind Perry Mason. Perry Mason takes out the gun and puts it behind his shoulder to hand it to Lieutenant Old Man Cool Hat. And while he's doing that, he's just, like, pointing the gun at the cop, and everything is fine. Bragg drops the bombshell that Evelyn is being considered as the primary murder suspect. And is going to be prosecuted because they found no bullet hole in Harry's pillowcase mask, just in his head. Which means that he was dead before he was found in the car. Mm. Which throws her story into question. Another clue. The next scene is Evelyn's preliminary hearing. The prosecution calls Lieutenant Bragg to the stand. Bragg says that the gun originally belonged to Hollywood producer Mervyn Aldrich. But Perry knows that this is not actually the murder weapon, right, going forward. Perry questions whether they have any evidence tying Evelyn to the gun and therefore the gun to the crime. The prosecutor says all they really need to do is establish that the gun was in her possession because they've already established a motive, right? We've gotten a motive and we have a weapon, so I don't really need to prove the rest. They, and by they I mean the writers, make it very clear that this is a preliminary hearing and not an actual jury-bound court case. Right. So they're just they're presenting the case and the evidence right now. That's all. Which I felt like in any other show ever made, they would not make that distinction because I don't think the audience and I I'm speaking for hey, everybody. In Law and Order, you don't see the preliminary hearing. Like <laughs> No, but even if you did, they wouldn't be like, and by the way, everyone, this is the preliminary hearing. And I need everyone to know that to make sure they know that I got this right. And I researched it. I know what preliminary hearings are. The prosecutor says that they just need to establish possession. And Perry gave the gun over to Bragg, which means that he must have got it from Evelyn. Ipso facto, possession established. Bing, bang, boom. You're guilty. Perry asked to see the crime scene photos, which conveniently were taken earlier this morning. (laughs) We see some bullet holes in the car, but then he also points out, oh, aren't there some bullet holes in this tree right here? How did they get there? (laughs) Perry says those could have come from Evelyn's shots, too. The judge agrees that the crime scene should be reexamined, and so they adjourn. This is massive tampering with evidence. (laughs) It doesn't matter, James. He went to the crime scene and fired extra shots. Right. It doesn't matter. When you're right, you're right. When you're right, you can just make shit up. So off screen, they go get the bullets from the tree. And just like on the spot, this is a little unrealistic, on the spot, a ballistic expert testifies that, yes, these bullets came from the gun that's currently in the courthouse. But then Perry Mason drops the bomb that there are actually two identical guns. So he calls Mervyn Aldrich, the Hollywood producer, to the stand. He questions him about the guns. Mervyn's like, well, I can't tell the difference between two exactly same guns. Perry points out the file mark that he made and how it's uh, not currently on the gun anymore. Because he put it there before I met with you. So what's going on? Yeah, I tampered with this too. Prosecution objects. He's like, this is, this is, this is witness tampering, which yes, it is. It is? (laughs) Yeah. Good point, lawyer. Through questioning, we find out that Evelyn's gun was stolen alongside the jewelry in the same incident. Convenient. Perry Mason points out 
that the night that he visited him, you swapped the guns, didn't you? And Mervin's like, well, yeah, now I'm under oath. Yeah, you got me. Yeah, now I can't lie. No one's ever lied under oath. Perry points out that the ballistic expert said that the bullets in the tree came from the gun in the courthouse, and we just established that you switched the murder weapon for this gun that's in the courthouse right now. Ipso facto, the prosecution can't establish possession. Lot of ipso facto in Perry Mason. But this is such tampering. He didn't even prove that Evelyn didn't fire the shots. All he did was make (laughs) the prosecution's evidence worthless, which doesn't actually do anything to help Evelyn. It just muddies the water. (laughs) This is like if the opponent lawyer was like hey can i get that gun for just like an afternoon and then at the end of it we, the judge is like where's the gun he's like oh i don't know and during that four hours he just went and threw it in a lake right or no he took the gun he like borrowed the gun from perry went shot it at the corpse two times yeah. and then goes into court and is like look i got bullets that came straight from the murder weapon <laughs> i have proof next perry calls lewis the hotel owner to the stand and grills him about the original jewelry heist, and whether or not Harry ended up with that 10K, or Lewis ended up with the 10K, because that money is unaccounted for. Aldrich paid it out to Harry, but the police can't find it. And you have to assume that 10K is probably in somebody's pocket. It's definitely not just like at the bottom of a ravine. People want that shit. He, Perry Mason, that is, basically cross-examines his own witness. Right, which is against criminal procedure, I'm pretty sure. Like, Yeah. <laughs> and But this is a preliminary hearing, James. Everything's, right. everything's fair game at a prelim. Perry uses this information to state that there are now multiple people with a motive to kill Harry. It's like, oh, you needed money, she wanted revenge, who's to say? We then get a new character. Perry Mason calls Evelyn's landlord to the scene. And she drops the huge bomb that actually Lewis, the hotel owner, recently rented an apartment like across the hall from Evelyn. And that the landlord had seen him skulking around Evelyn's apartment. Perry Mason's like, haha, how interesting. And calls Lewis back up to the stand. He tries to stonewall him, but as he's getting grilled, he just slips up. He's like, why did you destroy Harry's sign-in card at the hotel? He's like, I never did destroy it. He didn't sign one. Everyone gasps. (gasps) Oh, my God. Perry Mason got him. When Mary Thompson, the manager of the spa apartments, was up there, the prosecutor got to get up and ask her a question. And he was like, are you sure or was bold or could you perhaps have mistaken his identity? You are old and feeble. And she might as well have been like, no, I didn't, bitch. How dare eat you? Eat shit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, eat shit. Yeah, Bowles comes back up again. Perry Mason totally outsmarts him. He says that Meryl didn't sign the card and he had would offered him 500 bucks if he would make trouble for Bagby. She was going to make trouble for him, Meryl. You know, he's now just like explaining the entirety of the crime. Yeah, this is a great trope in in murder mysteries where, like, you know, the the hero basically trips them up on one or two details, so they spill all the beans. And the backstory for this man is that he had been being called dumb by his wife for so long that he wanted to prove himself smart. And while proving himself smart, he was just shouting the felony that he perpetrated out in a courtroom so so very very intelligent right so he wanted to show how smart he was by helping harry out with this scam but then harry scammed him right back and never paid him off 
He's basically like, why do I have to pay you? We both committed a crime together. If you say anything, we both go down. Get fucked, idiot. <laughs> uh, and so, since he knew about the whole money drop, Lewis knew that Harry had 10K. So he's like, okay, well, I'll just set up this extremely elaborate murder where I get the girl that you framed to make it seem like she shot you. Good thing that she actually did shoot the gun. Because, yeah, you can put the gun in her cigarette box, but you can't make her fire it at you, but... Lucky enough, it worked out. Yeah, lucky enough, she just, her, the way that she solves problems is by randomly shooting into the air like a crazy person. And then the best part of this whole confession, he's like, and I did it. I wanted that 10K so I could get out of this town, start a new life, and be away from my nagging shrew of a wife. Right, <laughs> my dog wife. Who, by the way, came off as, like, the best woman in the show right up until Mary Thompson came up and told the prosecutor to eat her own shit. And she, Miss Bowles, was the only woman with an actual backbone. And it's funny how she's portrayed as what I called a firecracker. But the audience who's watching this is now completely convinced, apparently, if it's the 60s, that she's like a bitch who's worth murdering people over. So the judge dismisses the case and has Lewis arrested. Everyone's clapping and cheering. Uh, Perry hits on Evelyn really quick. He's like, you did it, doll face. You beat the rap and you got a real pretty face, too. I wish he started fucking shaking her, man. Just shaking. We did it. We did it, Bagby. The next day or whatever, they're all having coffee in Perry's office and a letter arrives from Mervyn Aldrich with a big check inside of it. This is like a basically like a buy off for Perry. Yeah. Like, hey, thanks for not bringing up my wife's name. Thanks for getting me off on this murder rep. I didn't want to be involved. <laughs> and getting me off in private, too, right afterward, the preliminary yeah, hearing. Thanks for the handy in the, yeah, no. in, the, in the parking lot afterwards. I hope he did for the non-described amount that Aldridge gave him. And Perry promises to split the check with Evelyn for the, the problems that she's had. And again, it's just like, Evelyn, you've been so brave and you got a butt that won't quit. He just like yeah. can't stop hitting on her. No, like literally <laughs> at the end of the preliminary hearing, he was like, oh, careful with those big blue eyes, Bagby. And yeah, the next just, day, they get paid. He's his lawyer and he won't stop sexually harassing Yeah, <laughs> and then, yeah, when they get paid and Aldridge says he's going to split the check, he says... Yo, he must be partial to redheads. I was like, okay, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, Perry. <laughs> Women are sexual <laughs> objects. <laughs> oh, you, you uh. are a minx, Perry Mason. But yeah, anachronistic 1960s social issues aside good show i liked it a lot i know yes that's exactly how i feel the only glaring problem was that they treated every woman in the show except for perhaps the landlord who i guess if women are old they get to be actual characters but other than that i enjoyed it very very much i feel like and again i think i said this in a previous in our cast preview that i find black and white tv shows to be gross i like you know we figured out how to have color television and we figured out how to make audio not weird and click clacky and so why watch old stuff when you can watch new stuff but as it turns out stories were also good in the 60s for even as sexist as they were so we have got two more weeks before the hbo version of perry mason comes out 
so I thought we'd check out two more episodes of Perry Mason. According to MeTV.com, I thought we could check out like the two best episodes or whatever. Sure. On their top 10 Perry Mason episodes, the number two best episode is season one, episode 16, The Case of the Demure Defendant. Ooh, alliteration. Well, there was, and the, what, the, the red, the redheaded, the runaway redhead or whatever. Is that what this, this episode was? It actually, yeah, the case of the restless redhead. Yeah, that's so it. Yeah, they're pretty <laughs> married to the alliteration idea. Before we sign off, before we sign off, I want to talk about this one. This one thing: the Perry Mason syndrome is a real is a thing that a- occurred due to the oversimplified manner in which trial proceedings were presented on the popular crime drama Perry Mason. Jurors who watched the program would enter trials with misconceptions about how the legal process works, and some argue that the Perry Mason syndrome greatly reinforced the presumption of innocence of the defendant, which may have been problematic when the defendant was guilty. Others argue that because the Perry Mason was often able to cause witnesses to confess, jurors would expect similar Perry Mason moments to Right, yeah, yeah, if he were guilty, why wouldn't he just confess on stage? Right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this shifted the burden of proof from the prosecution to the defense. In one case, a juror told the defense attorney that the jury had voted to convict the defendant because the prosecution's key witness did not confess during cross-examination. And that happens every episode of Perry Mason. So uh, let's get out of here. That's very interesting because now nowadays the opposite is true. On Law & Order, the defendant is always guilty. And so he always goes to jail. And now they're saying there's the opposite problem where jurors always assume everyone's guilty, just like they always are on Law and & Order and, and, uh, and CIS. Defendants also had problems in the 60s because of Perry Mason. Another Perry Mason syndrome was that defendants would choose a larger percentage of the time to represent themselves in court. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because of, again, the simplified portrayals of trials on the television series led to some defendants to underestimate the seriousness of their own predicaments. Uh, Oh, it's just like an episode of my favorite TV show. Yeah, I can do this. I watched a lot of Perry Mason. I'm going to be able to. All I have to do is not confess on the stand and I win. Right. Yeah, so they watched the show, they believed they gained an immediate full understanding of the United States legal system, and represented themselves better than an attorney ever could. This effect may have been exacerbated by the tendency for news media to oversimplify their coverage of trial proceedings as well. So, uh, Perry Mason, entertaining show, went on for nine years, ruined a lot of lives. That is hilarious. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good to know. Well, that changes a lot of the context of these episodes. Yeah, it's doing a lot of evil. (laughs) Well, not evil. I guess it's just like empowering stupid people. It's getting a lot of people in jail probably where they didn't have to be. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. Christ, I'm like Because they want to defend themselves in court like a character on Perry Mason. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Well, uh, join us here, guys, next week for another adventure with Perry Mason leading up to the new HBO show coming out in three weeks. In the meantime, uh, if you would like to support the show, you can follow us on all relevant podcast apps and on social media. On Twitter, he's at WestworldRyan. I'm at JamesWatchesMen. As we mentioned at the top of the show, if you want to buy into our Patreon for just $1, you get a bonus episode every other week. You get our backlog of content, which there's quite a bit now. And um, you will get access to our bonus Discord chat for patrons only, where you can talk to Ryan and I about any old thing. And we will shout out your name at the end of the show. 
Yeah. The patrons are Dale Evan Westworld, Nicole, Vakaman, Atheism is Unstoppable, James Christopher, Major Woody, John Jers, Craig, Cliff Wilding, Lee, Hardboiled, Greg, Chris Wood, Hello underscore Yo, Brent Ginn, Carol Andreas, and James Watches My Dong. Hilarious. Still amazing. Watching. Yeah, currently watching. Hashtag currently watching. Thank you very much for the money. We just put up a season one retrospective of The Witcher on our Patreon. I started just listening to the Patreon RSS feed on Overcast. It's very nice. Uh, This week, we're doing solitary stuff uh james may or may not keep recapping and reviewing star girl on the main channel it's tough, guys. he hates it <laughs> he hates it he what he says to me every time we start talking about it he's like i don't know if i could do you sound like like a weathered like a weathered cop on the force uh like 40 years into his career i just don't know if i could do it anymore and then i'm putting up a new story time as bonus content on the patreon this week and i'm putting another story time up on the main channel next week bunch of stuff guys very cool thanks for listening everybody we are the hbo boys signing off bye bye hbo boys boys with a z